This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that after Saturday's result, hopes the players had a really good night out in Newcastle. This week on Heart and Hand, we were lying about that and we're going to talk about the performance vitriolically. So, welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar, I am your host, and I'm joined this week by two of our, I would say, our, our most swinging ladies' men type uh, in this uh, Christmas Christmas period. Uh, the, the, certainly these guys would, would be a danger to the mistletoe. Uh, first up is, of course, the Livingston Lothario, Mr Cameron and James Bell. Yuletide greetings, David, my son. <laughs> and handsome Andy McGowan makes up the team. <laughs> I like that. That's a good tagline. Yeah. You could do worse. I mean, you should hear what Scott had to put up with over the years. So, yeah, take that one and run with it. Uh, right, lads, there was only one place to begin, which is more than I think Rangers did. We took on St Johnston at Ibrox Saturday, 3 o'clock, and went into it in a, the back of a good run of form. It didn't really start well, actually. Uh, there was a, an error from Wes in the first minute, but seemed to recover and scored very early on. A very good goal, lovely pass from Ryan Jack through to Alfredo Morelos, who put it away, and everything seemed great, but that was probably the high point, because after that, Rangers conceded um, very quickly, actually. It went back to 1-1 um, when they allowed a shot from outside the box. Decent hit, but disappointing goal. Into the second half, and St Johnston... Sat in, sucked everything Rangers had to offer, hit us on the break, and we gave away a really terrible second goal with uh, a cross into the box, and Johnson had one man in the box, and he's been left free to nod at home. And uh, not long after that, with about 20 minutes to go, Rangers have conceded when Declan John has jumped over a shot from the edge of the box, and it's, it's went in to the far corner from where I was sitting. And uh, we deserved fuck all from this game, Andy. Undoubtedly, it was very, very frustrating, and it was a, uh, it's far too close to what we experienced against Hamilton a couple of weeks ago. Uh, 
and I don't think I'm, I'm adding any insight to our listeners when I say that we've got a real problem at home. There's just, just something that uh, you can't quite put your finger on, whether it's fear, whether it's just lack of ability, whether it's the standard of the squad, but we've got a real issue at home here and uh, teams are, are now wise to it, which is the worrying thing. I didn't uh, think, though, Andy, um, that it was a cauldron of hate on the, or, or, you know, or even a cauldron of rage is probably more accurate. I didn't think it was like that and it has been, you're right, in other games, but, you know, they were one up we went to one each at half time. There was no, you sometimes can get scattergun booing or whatever. But in this instance, you know, I, I am the first to say that sometimes we don't create a good atmosphere. But I thought the team dragged the crowd down on Saturday rather than the other way about. Yeah. To, to score the goal first uh, uh, in, within five minutes or whatever it was, you would expect us to move on for that and, and kind of make the game safe. But we scored that goal against the run of play after five minutes. I mean, yep. St. Johnson started and break our team. Totally agree. And uh, and you can see we went about the crowd about there being a lack of atmosphere. But you're right that there's nothing on the park to spark it. There's no uh, big tackles. There's there's no exactly loads of corners or any momentum getting built. So uh, it was just one. Of the, it was a very flat game, both the team and the crowd. But I think the two kind of reciprocated each other. Cami. I think Andy makes a great point there and I won't talk about momentum. We had it in terms of results, but he's absolutely correct. At no point during that 90 minutes did Rangers put together a sustained two or three minute period of intense pressing or tackling or corners or playing the game in the St Johnston third. It it, it just, we, we fell into their game plan really early, which was they were just going to sit in and allow us the ball in front of them. We never really looked like penetrating it. And then whenever they felt like it, it seemed to me, they took the ball off as attacked and looked threatening. And I can't think of one area of that Rangers side that, that functioned. Nah, and, and it's it's a bizarre thing to say, but if um, St Johnson score with that idiotic manoeuvre that Fodringham came out with in the first five minutes... Uh, and they got a goal back from, or they got a goal out of that opportunity. Bizarrely, I think we would have won the game because I think that that goal would have given the the crowd a spark to try and motivate the team to get an equaliser. Then that equaliser would have motivated us to try and get the team to a winner. And we were just very. I think I'm not I'm not willing to blame the home support in terms of where we're sitting at here. I think the players are far too comfortable at Ibrox. And it feels almost as if they just think they're going to win purely out of merit. Whereas all we've done this season is see teams that if, if we're on the attack, if we're trying to either uh, you know get an equaliser or get, get a, a winner within the last kind of 20 to 20 to 30 minutes, they'll just simply stick everyone behind the ball. And they've got no reason to, to alter that plan. Um, and we were weak and, and very toothless. Uh, and it sounds, I mean, it's, the, it's the, the cliche, isn't it? But far too many players had an off day on Saturday, and all of that combined, just we were never going to get anything out of that. I disagree, Cammy, because I think if they'd scored, they would have gave us a right drubbing. Because um, I, I think if that Rangers team goes behind at Ibrox, we're in serious bother. Strangely, not so much away from home, but at home, I think that if, if we go a goal down and teams can do exactly what you said there, just sit in and have something to hold against us, we're in trouble. Andy, one of the things that, that I thought, and Cammy's touched on it there, and I think it's, I think it's a good point, but I want to get your take on it. 
Was there a complacency from our side, which I would say was an unearned complacency, that they'd won four in the trot, they thought, especially after getting that early goal, that they were going to go on and win it, and when the challenge came, they simply could not get into a higher gear, and that the mentality going into the match was wrong? Aye, well, I mean, where do you start with it? Because mentality, fitness, uh, attitude, all these kind of things come into play when you're talking about that. I, I thought that this game ep- epitomised the weakness which we have in our overall standard of squad because we, we played, we didn't play well at Easter Road, but what we did do was we got a, an old school back to the wall win, uh, which is refreshing. It showed a bit of resilience. If we had a squad of merit, then I think three or four of the players would have been rotated and, and left out and changed, and it would have added a wee bit more legs. And from the first whistle on Saturday, St. Johnson were sharper than yes, us. They were. they were first every ball. They were winning more second balls than we were. And uh, I think you've seen players there that... I don't think they were up to it because I don't think physically they were quite up to where St. Johnson were. But for whatever reason, McCrory looked a wee bit leggy. Uh, even Hull and, and um, Ryan Jack were the same I think that's our problem is that it all came to fruition there you've got an attitude problem in terms of probably thinking we've scored a goal here that's just back on easy street we're going to win this game but the, the, the fitness the attitude everything else just wasn't there to, kind of, to make it happen even the bench you couldn't bring somebody off the bench no. to, to <clears> change that game and I, I think this is where our problems begin and end forget about the manager for a second but the overall standard of the squad just isn't good enough and over the course of the season you will lose games because of that that bench Cammy <laughs> that Andy talks I'm... about it, it, that bench Cammy what we had on it was the two players who came on and were clearly the only two that, that Graham Murty thought could uh, or were worth throwing on were Nico Cranchard who looks completely shot as a footballer um, Eduardo Herrera who is not for whatever reason is not going to work at, at Ibrox I think that's clear and the rest were David Bates, Jamie Barjonas, Lee Hodson, and uh, who was the other one? It was another young kid, Ryan Hardy. Hardy. So, so you've got there basically three kids trying to make their way in the game, and one guy who's dictionary definition squad player who's there because he can play fullback uh, both both sides, not particularly well, but he can do it. And we had a bench that had nothing on it, so there wasn't even the hope in the stands of we'll get this guy on. It was more a case of we could do with a change, but the, the the stands knew that there was nobody on that bench that was going to come on and do something. Nah, there's no there's no inspiration there, and it, and it would be interesting. I, you know, we'll never know the answer to this, but it'd be really interesting to know if the players have maybe looked at the fixture list maybe six weeks ago and thought we've got some really big games coming up here. And if we can get through them with X amount of points, basically by the time that we play St Johnson at home, that's the running. Mm. So there's no real, you know, we've kind of crossed the hardest part of it. And actually, you've come through that with flying colours. We've all spoken about in the pod. And to me, their attitude and their approach, their physicality on Saturday from the kickoff suggested that they thought it was a shoe in. And exactly as Andy says, much sharper than us. I, I, I don't, I don't understand. I really, genuinely don't understand as to why Cranchard was involved on Saturday because we had the same issue when we were chasing um, uh, in the last game at Ibrox. Danny Wilson, winner, and Cranchard wasn't even involved in it in that aspect. 
I, I don't know why Murray seems to think that as soon as you go two one down, um, Nico Cranchar is the is the go to guy. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't carry because they, he didn't bring him on when we were chasing a goal against Hamilton. He didn't bring him on when we were chasing a goal against Ross County. I think on Saturday it was just desperation. It was just a gamble. It was you know we know he can he can occasionally pop in a screamer and let's put him on and hope for that. And of course, as soon as it went to three one, it was done. Andy. I want to ask you a question that, that is, is possibly unfair, and if it is, tell me. Now, <laughs> the Rangers player had their night out on Saturday night, and it was all prearranged, it was all booked, and I'm not one that goes up an arm and says that you should cancel a Christmas night out on one performance on an arbitrary result, because I think that they're, they're still human. You know, and they although they do earn a lot of money, and we get frustrated and might want to cancel things at a spike because they've ruined our weekend. Maybe you know we'd like to ruin theirs, but I I don't agree with that normally. However, is it unfair to maybe suggest that that was at the back of their mind on Saturday that they had a big night out planned because it was, you know, a word I kept hearing and I kept thinking and I kept hearing round about me was lackadaisical, and when you contrast. Okay, not the level of performance, but you contrast the work rate and the effort that we got on Wednesday to what we got on Saturday, and it's night and day. Well, if, if their performance on Saturday was affected by the fact that they were looking forward to their night at Newcastle that night, we've got bigger problems than we, even we think. I, 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 can't, I just can't countenance that. I don't think that should be uh, anything in the, the factor for us getting beat on Saturday. Um, I don't think they should have cancelled a night out either, so I'm a, I'm a big one for always remembering that there's a big, big, big difference between what supporters, football supporters of any club think and the way professionals think. There's a big difference here. So I don't think it's uh, fair or, uh, to, to say you cancel your night out because you had a, a defeat on a Saturday. That can happen. But I'll tell you what you shouldn't be doing. You shouldn't be filming it and putting it on Instagram. Yes. All the Rangers supporters are sitting pig sick because our weekend's been bloody ruined. Correct. Because that is... Just pointing out how out of touch you are with what we are feeling and what we've been through all this time, right? Mm-hmm. We are very, very sensitive to stuff like this just now for right for for real reasons. So don't put it on Instagram or Twitter, or whatever it is. Just keep it to yourself and share it amongst yourselves. Absolutely. I mean, that's a WhatsApp group thing. If ever, if ever uh, I saw one, and then after the next win, by all means, get on Instagram and pop up. This was from our night out, but yeah, you're right. And it, it was a sore one on Saturday night. As I say, I'm not one either for going. No, they should cancel it. But when I saw that, there was a bit of me that did think, right, let's go down to Newcastle, mob handed, and <laughs> sit them in the corner of a pub with a water to they think about what they did and stand over them. Cami. We now, we're going to have to talk about individual performances and we're not picking on anyone because there had been some good ones but, you know, collectively everything that we have harped on about on the show that people harp on about it's not, you know, I'm not claiming that we've any great insight when it comes to this but you have two de- two fullbacks who can't defend and they really can't and they've been showing up week after week for their defensive because I think what, what Andy mentioned teams, teams know it, teams don't get it, they're fullbacks the centre-halves on Saturday were awful. Uh, they really just had a nightmare. And I think it was a case of Alves had split opinion with his performance on Wednesday because I think it was a split performance. I think the first half he was awful and the second half he was excellent. But on on Saturday, just he, he looked disinterested and 
uh, his passing was was on at one point young McCrory ratted back to win a tackle you know and you see he'd followed the ball about 40-50 yards won it passed it to Alves who launched it lazily into the corner and it went out for a throw and McCrory just turned around and looked daggers at him and then Danny Wilson did what Danny Wilson does, which is, you know, he'll play well, he'll play badly, he'll play somewhere in between. You never know what you're going to get with him. Um, some days he'll play, you know, out of his skin. Other days he'll, he'll look like he's never seen a football before. And how can you base anything, or how can you have a successful team based on a defence where at least two of them can always be gotten at? And on any given day... The other two might not be able to produce anything either. It's difficult because it's kind of what we were saying earlier on was that you know there was too many of them having an off day at the same time, which um, really was not good enough. I, I think your I think your problem with this comes into the fact that we know we know that defensively, Tavernier certainly is is just a lost cause. John, I hoped, was better than what we saw on Saturday, but he's doing nothing whatsoever to to, uh, to credit that opinion. Andy, um, uh, sorry, Cammy, to interrupt. Andy, just, you know, let's get a third opinion on this here. Um, your view on the full-backs? Uh, I think Tavernier's improved defensively, I've got to say, right? That's not to say he's a perfect fullback. I think he has worked on his defensive game, but he's still got it in him to make mistakes. De- Declan John, I've not seen him stop a cross getting in yet. He's not yeah. close enough. Uh, for a guy his pace, it's just... Uh, if you're watching your team, that would be the first thing you put a big red circle in left 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 side. Yeah, I agree. I think every time somebody goes at him, I'm expecting something. I'm expecting a ball in at least, you know. And it comes down to then whether or not the defence can deal with it. That's any time somebody goes at him. Um, anyway, sorry, Cami, you're saying. I just, as I say, I think that your problem with that as well is that I've got no confidence in Wilson. We were all saying up at the Tawdry, you know, he did really really well, obviously. Scored the winner up there, and and I was on the pod that week, and I was probably one of the few voices that turned and said, "Yeah, but he also did mark his man and constantly hit a shot off the bar." So you're you're seeing like the best of Danny Wilson, and then you're also seeing the worst of Danny Wilson, and all we saw on Saturday was the worst of him. The the problem the problem with this is I don't think it's that hard an issue to fix, because if you think about how you've seen every team play against us, with the exception of them. Um, at Ibrox, they will sit and they will take, and we've said a million times before, every opposition manager is going to turn around and say, listen, just let the crowd get on them, sit 20 minutes, sit 25, let them get frustrated, let them try a couple of chances that they can't convert, then try and hit them in the counter. And what I don't get, right, if you've got players like John and like Tavernier, who enjoy going forward, even Wilson actually to an extent enjoys kind of traipsing up the park, how you don't just simply say to them, as soon as their goalkeeper has the ball, whether it's a, a, a catch with the keeper who can distribute it or a bike kick, whatever, doesn't matter, you need to collapse in in the final third of our, of our goal. You need to get back. You need to get a line. You need to get a formation. You need to get all that sorted out. Let the midfielders do the same thing around about the halfway line, maybe 10 yards into their own half. But if you're going to run forward and create opportunities, put in crosses, have shots, etc., like Tavernier did on Saturday, you're also going to have to heavy foot it straight back again to be able to try and get back into a line and get back into a formation. It does not seem that difficult to me. But time and time again, not even from the goals that they, they, they scored, but even from the chances they created, there was a number of crosses which, in my opinion, were completely avoidable because the fullbacks didn't know where they were or what they were doing. 
Um, and they just seemed so... They had plenty of space, but not an idea of how to use it and how to actually work effectively to be able to stop that um, stop that ammunition, stop that um, coming into the box. And the, the, <coughs> enigma, uh, the enigmatic Mexican, who, of course, gets gets more mentions and on this show and, and any other Rangers show than, than anyone else, was nowhere to be seen on Saturday. Carlos Pena dropped from the 18 entirely. I admit that it, it surprised me, and I think that then the paucity of options in the second half almost made it um, even more difficult to understand. Is there something going on we don't know about with this guy? Because, yes, he, he, he was pretty poor um, in his last run out for us against Ross County, but, but so was everyone else. And to not have him on a bench that we've already touched on was so lacking in anyone who had even the potential to come on and change the match for us. I thought that was a very strange one. I was very surprised before the game when I seen the team. Uh, I was surprised that uh, not on the bench anyway. Like I, I, I could see why he'd be on the bench because he was poor the week before. Maybe I'm oversimplifying things in my, my view here, but you can't have enough goal scorers in your your team and your bench and your squad. And for everything else, he is he is a goal scorer, and he scored against. He done really well against them up at McDermott Park. So as you quite rightly say, David, if you if you've got somebody on the bench that comes on and changes the dynamic of the game a wee bit because what he does is we've talked about time and again on the pod as he comes on he occupies that wee bit of space and he makes their midfielders and their defenders ask the question who's going to mark him is it going to be you or is it going to be us because he takes up that space in between and he's very very hard to mark and the first second half uh, kind of uh, philosophy is get down the wings get boys in the box then he's the ideal man that you want making the runs into the box so there must be something else. If there's no something else going on, then it's a really bad decision because you look at the bench and if you couldn't squeeze him in there somewhere just as an option, I'd like to hear the rationale for that. I really don't get it at all. Um, but we need we need his option. And see, see apart from anything else, we've got to persevere with the players we've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've, got, we've spoken about the squad already and it's not that good and it's not got enough depth and all the rest of it. I don't think we can afford to leave guys like him in the house on a Saturday afternoon. Well, I've got nothing against Ryan Hardy, right? This is not a slight at all on Ryan Hardy. But why is he on the bench if he's not going to get on? Because that's what happened. You know, he, he didn't get on when we needed a goal. So if he's not there to be an option, then why have him there at all? And why have somebody who has got goals in the SPL this season or SPFL this season, as you say, not being used? And I, and I don't understand that. Um, now, there were four wins before at Cami. Things had been going well. There were some flickers again of the just give it to Marty. But do these occasional lapses kill that idea, or is it simply a case of this Rangers team? This is as good as they are. They will win some games. They will lose some games, and it doesn't matter if you get Graham Marty or Ian other in. No, because I think. I think your problem is see if Murray knew how to how to fix the problems that he has. You know, we, we would be seeing very different performances. And Alex um, spoke really well on the last couple of podcasts about the difference between performances and results. And he's a hundred percent on the money. The problem that you've got with Murray is I think if you if you were to assess Murray on desire to get that job, I, I think he would be a, a, you know an out and out 
uh, an out-and-out winner. The problem we've got is he doesn't have the experience, he doesn't have the reaction, and I don't think he has the smarts at the moment. And I'm not discrediting the guy, because it's still... You've got to understand, he's still very much in the infancy of his of his managerial career. The problem you've got with this is he doesn't know how to fix problems immediately, i.e. make effective substitutions, because some of them work and some of them are just fucking bizarre. I think that he needs to be able to understand how to do the man-managing piece better. So, as we were saying there, I, I would have absolutely expected Tommy Wright to get that team sheet when he was in... Uh, Ibrox on Saturday afternoon and raise his eyebrows at the fact that Pena wasn't there because he probably like we've always said said well I, I need to work out how to deal with this guy you know it's like we've, we've said he's a silent ninja and all that Murray can't explain to us as to why he, he's not there and if he's not there for some reason which we assume is non-injury related it starts to dial back to his man management perspective and I'm sorry but I understand the argument about bringing Hardy on I don't think we've had a run of games within the last five or six wherein really could have featured heavily, if I'm being perfectly honest, because he wasn't going to play against Aberdeen. Hibbs was a fucking battle, all, all the rest of it. But and I'm not blaming it. I'm not blaming a single in Hardy. There wasn't a single player on that bench on Saturday who was a game changer, not one. And the she, worst she thing about the, the worst thing, the worst thing in that situation, however, it's that you probably do have young boys who are sitting there going, "I really want a chance here. I really want a chance here." But to a certain extent, we would throw them under the bus if we were to turn and go, right, son, we're 2-1 down, we're losing this, we're getting battered, go in there and try your best. That's what that kid's supposed to do. I know, but I don't know if anyone would hold that against them. I don't think anyone would hold it against them, and certainly not another crowd, and certainly not for a young player. But the, pro- the problem you've got for a professional, a seasoned professional like Crancher, I-, I, would, I would rather have Ryan Hardy have come on on Saturday wanting to do something than Crancher coming on and probably just thinking, well, I'll, you know, we'll see the clock out, see how we go on. We'll maybe create a couple of chances, but, you know, whatever. Um, because I think Hardy or Jonas probably would have made a far more effective difference. And it's things like that that I really question. How is Murray engaging his players that when backs are against the wall, which there have been more than plenty of, of, of instances uh, within the last few months, how do your players respond? And, and I'm, I'm very questionable about where that is. Andy? I've got an issue with Ryan Hardy being on the bench at all because the way we are playing, I don't think there's any coincidence that the last couple of games, Aberdeen twice and Hibs in particular, we've played well and the likes of Windass has played well because with had space in behind, these teams were actually coming to have a go at us. Whereas you can more or less put your hat on the fact that any team that comes to Ibrooks, when we've got the ball, they're going to be pretty deep. They're going to have men back. They might only have one up. And that's what transpired on Saturday. And Ryan Hardy, as far as I can see, uh, in the reserves or the youth development team or Scotland under 21s, is a player that thrives on space in behind. Mm-hmm. So bringing him on against 10 men that are lined deep, OK, maybe a bit of a poacher, but he's not the kind of player that I would be bringing on. It's, it's a strange one. Um, and I know we're saying the likes of the man and, and so forth, but at least he's a wide man that can take a man on and maybe create something when you're when you're chasing a game with, with 10, 15 minutes to go. We touched on it earlier, there was 20 minutes to go when they scored their third goal. And I don't think there's a Rangers supporter in the place that thought, well, we can still do something. The belief just wasn't there. It wasn't in the stands, it definitely wasn't on the pitch. That's the, the key the, thing. That's the key thing, the, that the, the players the accepted it. You're, you're spot on, but you, everyone in that stadium knew that the players thought, ah, this is done. And they, at that point, 
they'd accepted defeat, chucked it, however you want to put it, that they knew that they weren't going to to get back into the game and, and we can see that the crowd aren't stupid you know we could, we could see that that they thought that and then they, they went through the motions until it was until it was the end and couldn't he get off the park quick enough Aye I mean you're talking about individuals and, and we Holt and uh, Ryan Jack so Holt's been exceptionally good the last three four games I've got to say um, but what you had on Saturday was uh, Ryan Jack and Jason Holt reverting to their kind of default game which is without being disparaging they're water carriers they win the ball they keep it moving and somebody else has to really do the creative stuff and uh, that was a big big drawback for us in that second half and you're chasing the game because what happened was that Danny Wilson the centre half became our main playmaker mm. he was he was trying to make things happen for the back and, and invariably it was just a kind of a flighted punt to one of the other wings so, I don't know, I, I'd, have, I'd have had Burjones on, because mm. at least Burjones can actually try and step beyond a guy, and and sometimes he'll even have, heaven forbid, a shot at goal. Yeah. So, the, 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 I, I, I thought that was an issue on Saturday. The, the, key thing, the key thing for me, I think, is we don't have anyone, we don't have anyone who, who can penetrate centrally against two banks of five. We rely far too much on being able to feed out to the wingers and then it's cross after cross and then you're just hoping to see someone getting the end of it or whatever. You can have Wilson, you can you have whoever you want. Running past your midfielders to be able to get into the box to get on the end of one of those crosses. But you don't have anyone who can who can almost open up a defence on the centre of the park and I mean listen, it's it's apples and oranges. But to a certain extent that's where when you see teams doing that against Man City, De Bruyne is just phenomenal at being able to pick out just a, a, a slight opening and he can play it so quickly that it will feed through into any one of the strikers who will run onto it because they know that they'll, that he will see it and I'm not suggesting we're getting to De Bruyne's level but we don't have anyone at that stage who for me um, can do that within tight spaces Ryan Jack set up obviously uh, Morello's goal on Saturday but he did it because of the fact he had a whole berth of space in front of him was able to pick out Morello's out when that starts to come into him I think he really really struggles with that and then it's Let's look up. Can he see anything up there? Look left. Look right. Look left again. Right. I'll just feed it out to the wings, and and teams are teams are getting wise to it. I mean, teams are, in fact teams are already wise to it. Oh yeah, there they are. There are certain things I never ever want to see at Ibrox again. Um, island stages in the middle of the pitch for one. David Murray. Um, but another one is four three three because we are fucking useless at it in any combination of the players that we have attempted it recently and by recently I mean the last few years we suck at it and it doesn't work at Ibrox it's too easy for teams to play against Josh Windass who had been playing well gets put out onto the left where you know you could count on the the number of one fingers the amount of matches he's played well in that position Candias who I I honestly don't know what's happened to him the last few weeks um, because you could always at least guarantee effort from him and, and or, or at least you know, a real commitment and we didn't see that on Saturday and as Cammy touched on Andy we had three you said that we had three water carrier types in the middle which we did you know and their job was to get the ball feed it out wide to the two wide guys whose job it was to cross it for Morelos in the middle and we're surprised that St Johnston dealt with that really fucking easily and our goal came from a fast break when Jack's actually pierced that th- those two banks. 
And yet our tactic going in was this 4-3-3 thing that history has shown repeatedly we cannot fucking do at Ibrox. No. I agree completely and I, and I think the, the kind of cross ball into the box tactic which is get it to Tav let him beat the man which he's generally quite good at to be quite fair yeah, he, is, yeah. he, he does take me, his man on and, and try and get a, a, a decent cross in if you're playing against almost every team in the Scottish League the one thing they're good at is defending their box because they've got big giant centre halves that don't play much football and can header a ball and, and we've nobody that attacks the ball in the box. We've not had anybody that attacks the ball in the box for the last three or four years. I can't remember the last front... Uh, if the lot, in fact, when Das was the last front post run i seen up at Pataudry, we don't do it enough. So can DS or Tav can put in as many balls as they want. The amount of actual uh, Rangers players will get around there will be very, very few. Um, and, and the thing where you're talking about Jason Holt and Ryan Jack and uh, McCrory... They, they, they do move side to side, right? And this is this is slowing the game down and making it dead safe on Saturday, and it just doesn't help when you're chasing the game. The number of free kicks we get around the box is um, proof positive of the fact that we've not got a midfielder that can actually try and just even step away from a man and get in front of him. Because the, the, the defenders of St Johnson and Hamilton the time before, they didn't really even need to put a foot in. All they needed to do was defend space and they knew that we would just keep moving it from side to side to side to side to try and get it to John or Tavernier. Uh, and it's far, far too predictable. And you're right, David, it comes to the it comes to the formation. I think we're getting to the stage now that there's actually needing to be a wee bit of a outside the box thinking and whether that is I'm not suggesting that's the answer, but it's an option, it's moving Tavernier in the middle of the park, because he would certainly drive on. We've seen it last season under Warburton. He would drive on in the middle of the park. Something like that needs to happen because there's nothing else jumping out at me to say, well, we've got this player to come back or that player to come back. I think we are where we are and I think we need to actually start thinking a wee bit differently about uh, what we're coming up against at home because you can't just keep playing the same way. Tammy? It's an interesting notion. I think your, your problem with Tavernier potentially going into the middle of the park is I think he shites himself when he comes up against potentially two or three bodies or if he was front facing a back four, which he's he's then trying to penetrate. Um, I also don't I also don't necessarily trust his instant decision making. And if you think about the ball that was fed to, through to him, pretty much the the the, the latter stages on Saturday, uh, Herrera touched quite a nice wee ball into his path. If you actually look back at that opportunity, he touches it three times before he eventually gets a shot away. And now I'm talking about the space of about four yards. Yeah, Cammy, actually, that's I- an interesting point. Is that something that is happening too much at Ibrox because of the lack of confidence there? Because I noticed that on Saturday as well, and I know a few other guys had mentioned this to me. They take extra touches constantly, and as Andy says, that leaves them always needing to do the safe option. And it, it, is it because of oh, I want to make sure I make this dead sick? You know, they're, 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 they're panicking and they're overcompensating. It is, but then what you've got is if you're trying to defend against that, and you know that your man in front of you is going to take a touch. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You can close. You can close them down very, very quickly. And what will then happen is. Any opportunity you've got to try and, and, and create a gap or split a defence because of a first-time ball is pretty much non-existent. Um, I don't... It's really difficult, this one, about the one at home. I don't I don't know if it's a lack of confidence at home 
I think there's maybe a lack of confidence from the players themselves, I think especially Tavernier, because um, <laughs> bizarrely the third St. Johnson goal for me is textbook Tavernier, like just to be able to try and come in and have a shot at it and then Booth goes you know, right by the keeper. Um, but he wasn't capable of doing that. He was in close to being able to do that on Saturday. Um, so it's a bit of a mixture in terms of... I, I would like us... I would like to to think that what we're trying to do is we're trying to run drills, playing against in training, five, two banks of five, say you've got 20 minutes on a clock and you've got to score two goals, you're a goal down. And you, you, you've got a maximum of two touches and you have to create opportunities to be able to try and do it. It's the only way we'll get better at these things. Um, because as you say, it feels like as if there's just this real lack of do you know what there is? There's a there's a real lack of risk from these players at home. They don't want to take dangerous options. Um, whether or not they think that will get an adverse crowd reaction or what have you, but it's playing right into the, the opposition's hands because it's making us um, dither on the ball too much. Yes, it is. No, no, it's a, you're, you're quite correct there. Now, the uh, endless managerial search drags on and the latest name in the frame, according to weekend reports in the newspapers, is Tony Pulis, he who wears the club shop. And uh, that has you know, drawn an interesting reaction from the Rangers support. Some people say, well, he would obviously make us better. Um, some people saying he would, but the football he plays is incredibly turgid. Some others are saying this is a load of nonsense. Look at the money that he would undoubtedly be on and the fact that he would absolutely be able to get a job in the Premiership in the new year as soon as a team is uh, convinced they are in a relegation battle and sack their manager, he will be up there on their list. Um, I suppose the counter-argument to that is maybe he's a bit sick of that, I don't know. Andy, what are your thoughts on the... The the believability of these rumours and the suitability, if they were true. Uh, well, I think I think it might be my first pod. I'm not sure, but I, I mentioned Pulis as my first choice, right? And I know he looks as if he's just ram-raided JD Sports, but that's not near here nor there. He's <laughs> got a track record, a, a, a very very decent level. This guy was the manager of the year uh, in, the, in the English Premiership, I think three or four years ago. And and to on one hand say I'll take McInnes, but I don't want Pulis. That to me is an illogical statement. I think Pardew would have done a job for us. I think Chris Coleman would have done a job for us, and um, and I think Pulis would definitely do a job for us. And we can talk about the wells and wifers of of his type of football, but we we've just sat and talked about the game on Sunday, eh, Saturday there, and the one thing that would happen if Pulis came is our defence would be organised. We might be able to use a set piece, right? Because that's something I never spoke about. Set pieces are atrocious. Yeah, they are. Uh, whether it be free kicks or corners mm. or shies, whatever. The set pieces are just total missed opportunities that when you're chasing games and you're not playing well. And I think, um, I don't want to say with kicking arse, right? Because I don't think that's the kind of, I think that's a cliche. But what I mean is, I don't think there would be much many players shirking. We, we watched that on Saturday, and from the first whistle to the last, St Johnson went man to man for us, basically pressing us, and invariably we were losing our individual battles. Correct. That was the part that I could not accept for Saturday, and I don't think a Tony Pulis team, I don't think that would happen very often. I think and if you can get right, a yeah. basic set up and a, a sound uh, football team, and you can embellish it a wee bit more with two or three really good players, like we had in the past, right? we always had a Porsche or a Yelovich or something like that. 
And, and at some point, we will be able to afford one or two of them again. I think then you'll have a Rangers team that's worthy of the name and might actually challenge. Uh, so, Pulis for me, forget about the personality, forget about the, the kind of peripheral stuff that really doesn't matter. I think he'd be a, a fantastic manager. Is he debatable? Right kind of is he debatable though? I mean, are we just we're, we're mentioning a name, but it's not a realistic possibility. That's my concern. Well, well, you mean because of wages? And wages, yeah, and then you know, opportunity maybe want money to spend. I don't know because let's face it, any club you go to in the English Premiership, you get a budget, you know, of, of some uh, sort. That's a fact. So, you know, maybe uh, having to come in, we I think we have the opportunity. You can say to him, look, you're going to have a relegation battle here. If you do the job properly, which obviously you've got the faith in yourself to do, we would hope that you're going to be winning more games than you lose, and you're going to well, you should be, and you're going to be challenging for honours. So we, we've got that to, and European football, which is something that he's unlikely to get in England. But huge amounts of money, the league is, let's face it, a bit shy. It, 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 you know, can, can we sell this job to him? Because I mean, like anyone who thinks it's the other way around and is turning their nose up, he's a, he's in a, a position to say no to us more than we're in a position to say no to him. That's true as well. I suppose I, I, who can answer that except Tony Pulis? Hmm. If he's got, um, he'll have made his money. I'd imagine he's made a few bob in his years. Yeah, he just lost four million uh, though to Crystal Palace. Oh, did he? Aye, the, the, the court case. Uh, thing. Yeah, he lost the case and was ordered to pay them three point seven million. Oh, well, that's all fucked then. Cammy, I've just. You sure, Andy, you sure you're not on the board at Rangers? <laughs> Cammy, I've just burst Andy's dream of hiring a card carrying member of Opus Day. Could you explain to him why? Uh, well, could you explain to him why that might not necessarily be that? No, all jokes aside, um, I, I think it, it would be an interesting one. It's probably some. But Cammy, we are getting to the stage here when names are mentioned and some of our fans are going, "Oh, I wouldn't have him or him debate." We are getting to the beggars can of be choosers stage. I think we're. I think we're past it. If I'm being perfectly honest. I think I think your, your problem that you've got right is you've got fans who believe um, Rangers are still the club that we were ten years ago, and because of that, we look down our noses at ex Stoke, ex Crystal Palace, ex Birmingham, ex Aston Villa managers, and we, we you know we, we're not interested in that. And I think and listen, that, that sounds really horrible to think about. Well, it's all fucking doom and gloom and. You know, you're as well just handing in your jotters now, because actually we're in a, we're still in a rebuilding phase, and I don't I don't quite understand why fans don't understand that if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. you're also then talking about well, you know, with, with half the fucking season ticket holders would still take Walter Smith back, and you're like, well, how much back to basics do you want to get to? Where to a certain extent we're we're just pressing the reset button. Actually, we've made progress. Even if you look in the last twelve months, we've made progress. Now. We're not. I think when you talk about Pulis, I, I would again. It's what we said before in the pod, David, when we were talking about Allardyce and when we were talking about McLaren and Davy Moyes and all that. Right. There's two things here. Firstly, the reason why beggars can't be choosers in terms of where we are at the moment is because I don't care who the manager played for beforehand. As far as I'm concerned, we're paying him a wage and he comes and does his job for us. I don't believe for a single minute that, you know. David Moyes, for example, was potentially coming to Rangers to get a move to Celtic. That was just never going to happen, right? And anyone who thinks that, I think, probably needs to have a wee lie down. But the second thing with that is that, you see, being able to bring in someone like Pulis, to me, 
actually recovers a bit of credit to the board because the board will never release his wages, but the media will, or they'll just pick a figure. And so therefore, it will come out into the public domain how much this person would cost us. So bringing in someone of that kind of credence actually says to the board, well, listen, we're going to stake our claim on this guy. We're going to pay him, pay him well, and then therefore it's over to him. And so we've done what you've asked. We've, we've fulfilled that vacancy with what we see as a viable candidate. The problem you've got, and listen, and I think this is the main sticking point, I think the problem you've got when you talk about budgets is when you're talking about bringing guys like Pulis into the frame, he has to deal with an entirely different animal. He has to deal with a club where winning is expected, whereas a lot of his career, with all due respect to the clubs that he's been at, surviving is what has been the kind of key aim. And the biggest thing from that is if you're then talking about being able to give him money, I would ask him, well, listen, how do you see your expenditure have been able to win us the league, right? Because that's point number one. Europe's a bonus. But point number one is how much money do you think you would need to win the Scottish Premier League and what are you basing that on? And number two is about being able to try and get him into a space where he realises that, you know, there is some some opportunities for him at Rangers like Europe, which he would get nowhere else. Do you know what I mean? Nowhere else that he's, he's potentially been linked with at the moment. So it goes back to what we said before. Allardyce, McClam, Moyes, Pulis, these guys are all viable candidates and they should be considered as viable candidates and ironically as we're talking about this now 50% of the names I've just mentioned have been hired mm. by top tier teams even if they're not in the top flight and that's what I don't, this is what I don't understand is why why do we immediately dismiss them so no, we, we are beggars can't be choosers time, we need to get some structure set in place and we need to get a vision. We need to get some sort of ethos within that team. And whether or not somebody comes in and does their own mission statement or whatever they want to do, I don't really care. But we need to combine our resource pool at the moment in terms of those, those players that are there. Get what we can out of them. If there's, if there's dead weight, get rid of them. Bring in key areas where we need to improve and move forward. Because right now, we're just... I mean, we're in second year, David. We really are. So, folks, Cammy wants us to hire ex Tims. Andy wants Archbishop Pulis appointed. My apologies <laughs> to those of you who are listening. I, all I can say is I'm from Co-Winning, and some of us still have pride in what we are supposed to be. But moving on, moving on, um, before you two get confirmed, um, if we can go back to a point Cammy made there about ethos. Now, one of the reasons Rangers brought in Mark Allen as director of football was because of this idea of a footballing philosophy which would be installed at all levels of the club. That was the reason why a director of football was appointed. Over the weekend, rumours began to surface that all isn't well with um, with Mark Allen um, at Ibrox uh, on both sides. Uh, that there's some feeling between uh, that Mark Allen feels he's um, not being able to do the job in the way that he would want to. Uh, the other side of the coin is that that there is some feeling from Rangers that he's not doing the job that they want him to do, and it. it isn't seeming to be going too well now you know discreet inquiries made by my good self have sort of revealed that without going into well not without going into the reason people sometimes get annoyed when I say that because they make it they think that I'm doing I know something you don't it's not it's because I'm not a journalist I don't um, when I speak to people it's just to find out you know what they think and it is just that it's just opinion but I would certainly categorise this as no smoke without fire and it, it bit concerning this this quickly into the relationship Andy that these things are coming out and you know although we we don't have the full story and the rumours I'm sure aren't 100% accurate they never are is it a bit concerning that this 
is even a potential issue at this point? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an optimist here. I, I don't think there's any any change in any business for the Rangers that doesn't come about a pain. I think that's the old adage, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And if this guy's came in and he's been given a remit and it's a big departure for our club to go this way, but I do, I firmly believe this is the way forward, for not just for Rangers, but for most football clubs, is that if you get a continuity of structure, it means that the, the, the actual manager or, or coach, or whatever you want to call them, becomes um, it becomes less a, a, a stranglehold. So what I mean by that is if you bring in a manager, so McInnes may have been wanting to come in and become totally autonomous. He might want final word. And then it doesn't work out or else he goes somewhere else. And then you have to completely start again. You've not only just lost your manager, what you've done is you've lost your complete structure. So I think... Looking at teams down south, you've got Watford and so forth. They've been big proponents of getting in their structure and letting the coach coach. And almost to the extent that the coach is disposable, mm-hmm. if it's not happening, you get rid of them, you bring somebody else in, and eventually you're going to get success. Now, this is I the European the model, Andy. That's this is, the way I think we should yeah. be going. Sorry, this is, David. This is a European model. This is You're, you're exactly yeah. correct. Because their feeling is, they look at the British model of the manager gets total control, he gets to hire all his backroom staff, he gets to get the players he wants and sell. They see that as, as insane because it means that every crazy. time you get a new... Yeah, and every time you get a new manager, you've got to start again from scratch. Whereas their view is exactly what your view is, is that you have to sack a coach occasionally because it's not working. Yep. And when you do, if you've got everything else running smoothly, then it it's minimises the disruption. And yeah, yep. I, I'm with you. I, I agree on the I agree on the the principle of it, and I think it's the way to go. But uh, will there be a, a possibility that maybe people throw the baby out of the bathwater? And because I mean, it could feasibly be that Mark Allen is not, for whatever reason, the right man for the role. We don't know that at this point. We're just speculating. We're just dealing in hypotheticals. If he's not the right man for the role. Does that mean that the role itself is invalidated? I, I wouldn't say that, but it may be a school of thought. Uh, I, I think the role's here to stay, and I think we, there's a lot of things we've got to persevere with, and this is one of them. We've got to persevere with this. And if he's not the right man for the job, and, and how long has he been in? Six months? Yeah. Was it August or something I started? So if he's not the right man for the job <laughs> this early in his tenure, that is damning indictment and the selection on who made the selections and, and, the, and the spotlight should be turning on them. So Where have uh, we heard that before? <laughs> no, I, I, I know that sounds obvious, but... No, no, but it's... It, 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 where have we heard that before? Because, yes, you're right. And that is something that will be held against the board until they get an appointment right. And that's just a fact. Aye. So, so to, to kind of cut my rant short, what, what I'm thinking or what I'm hoping is... Any of these kind of rumours or the smoke without fire kind of thing, I think I'm hoping it's because he's cracking eggs to make an omelette, <laughs> and it's no because he's a dick or he's no get man management skills. I can't believe that somebody that's worked at the level he worked at at Man City in such a professional organisation uh, with such a setup in there. I can't believe that's the case. That, that would be very very surprising. Cami, if and it's early, but if. Uh, can the board afford another another appointment to go tits up so badly so quickly? That's your that's your that's your initial problem, though, isn't it? Because your downside to this is, and, and you have to be consistent when you're talking about where the board are at. 
And I don't think any of us would turn around and say we think that the board make good appointments. But if, if the manager uh, chair is anything to look at. That being said, I think I think you've got to, to be quite hard within that role. And I think you've got to be able to make decisions uh, for the, the greater good of the club. Now, what what normally would happen with that, that kind of that kind of level of stuff is that if your director has come in and probably said, I would like to do A, B, C, X, Y, and Z. I want to, these projects to be up and running. This is the changes I want to make. This is what I want to instill, etc. This is what I want to stop doing, start doing, etc. Usually you've got a six to 12 month trial period, if you want to call it that, to be able to then say, right, well, that has either worked or not worked. And if it's been a disaster, usually they're out the door. Um, I've got a degree of faith that he wouldn't have been able to survive uh, being a failure at Man City because Man City could pay him whatever they wanted to to get rid of him. So there's a certain box tick there. But like you, I've heard the rumours as well that he was heavily touting the clam and the board were dead against it. And the problem I've got with that is you're bringing in someone to generate, as you say, an ethos, a football and culture if he believes that, that a candidate for the managerial position is someone who can do that, then to a certain extent, you've got to give him final say. Otherwise, what you're kind of doing is you're giving, you're giving the guy a gun with no bullets because he can't do anything if uh, you know he wants to voice an opinion, if he wants to put it across and then take it away. And again, in that circumstance, it usually ends up with the man in the middle leaving. So I, I would be interested to be the fly in the wall around, you know, obviously if, if he did have uh, preferred candidates for the managerial position which are being vetoed by the board, why they're being vetoed? Because I'm, I'm sure Alan, given the personality we're talking about here, would want to know why he's been overridden. But I'll be honest with you, I can see us doing this and if he goes, I think we would go back to basics. I think we would go back to, right, we'll bring in a manager, they bring in the backroom staff and away we go. Um, because now what you're talking about doing is having to replace a director of football and they're not cheap no correct um, they're not cheap at all so and if I was going into that position and you had just been sacked from it the first question I'd be asking an interview is you know what happened with the previous guy what what was the reasons behind that what didn't work because I'm not walking into a job and I presumably already be in one I'm not leaving one job to come into yours only to find out that actually it's a busted flush and I can't really do anything here so Andy, Alistair Johnson uh, I want to talk about a little bit because there was some news of him over the weekend but firstly he said that at the club there were areas of significant dysfunction and it then came out over the weekend that he had been, you'll know more about this than me, the legalities of it named by the club as a person of significant influence at the club now first of all, what does that entail? And is this a good thing because we have someone who does appear at least to share our concerns from the outside that the board is not working in as fluent a manner as it needs to? I wouldn't look too much into the significant influence thing. I think that's just a factor I'm being a director. Um, and it may be he's just more, not, not trusted, that's the wrong one, but maybe more senior to, than to others. We should maybe explain um, this to people that um, documents with Companies House 
reveal that that he's been named as an individual person with significant control at the Ibrox club and Rangers notified Company's House about this on November the 15th so that's kind of what we're alluding to for people who, who may be wondering but, but in your understanding of it that's really just based on the fact that he's a director I would, I would think so. I would think so. I think if, if it was somebody that's going to be in major control, then they would probably give him a title to go over right. um, and make it official. And it might be just be that he's somebody Dave King trusts and uh, I think or, or they share uh, views or values. I don't know. I've always found Johnson to be pragmatic and honest, I've got to say. And although he's part of the old boards and everything that went with it, he came out of it with some credit. He came out of all that carry on with some credit because he called it and he, and he let the fans know exactly what was going on in terms of white and what they thought of him and everything else. So Andy I'm, was just I'm dead. quite content myself with having him on the board and, and allowing him to have a, a significant say in the way we go forward. In terms of institutional failures that he spoke about, I mean, where do you start? This, this is the problem I've got is that we're talking about the manager's job, we're talking about the director of football job and it's very, very easy that when we're in the bubble of being Rangers supporters, it's very, very easy to lose the perspective that they are probably the two biggest challenges in football, two of the biggest jobs in football, bar none. They're massive jobs. Yeah, they and they taking them on, they need to have special characteristics and very, very uh, strong character and, and temperament and uh, durability and everything to, that would be needed to persevere with what we need to do in our football club. There's quick fixes and there's long-term stuff being done at the club. And uh, I think that's a big problem with the manager's job is it needs to be a special person, somebody... Uh, well, Marty's no the answer. You can't go for wanting somebody with experience and so forth and then say, right, we'll just get to an under-20s manager. That's just a non-starter for me. And the same goes for the director of football. He's came from Man City. He's got a pedigree, whether, whether you believe it or not. I think we have to persevere. And you have to at least let him try and implement his ideas. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Cammy. If he has put forward candidates for the manager's, manager's job and they've been vetoed by the people writing the checks, it undermines him completely. Yeah, and it there? then brings into question, why have one at all if you're still going to veto it? So you've basically got non-football people vetoing the football people making football decisions. And uh, so far, that's not worked for us, has it? No, that's the thing. You can argue, you can argue the toss if if there's success on one, but there isn't. So at the moment, we're going with people's gut feelings on things, and they're, they're proven to be continually wrong. Now, we don't normally speak about other teams' results on here um, because you know we're Rangers and we're only focused on Rangers. But there was a significant one at the weekend when um, Celtic's uh, 69 game. Uh, unbeaten streak came to an end. First of all, Cami, I believe you want to take a lot of credit for this. Well, not me, but you know, your the, son, the footballing supremo, the the guy who you know probably will win six Ballon d'Ors. Um, Was a hell of a finish. I'll give him that. Well, I, I know, and the best thing about it is Andy Halliday can raise a fist to the opposition fans. And uh, and get a, a a booking and set off for it. Kyle Lafferty can stand in front of uh, the entire away support at Tyne Castle and give him a red hand and call him and dare book him. Wouldn't even dare come near him. And that's the power that this guy has. I mean, they, <laughs> phenomenon. I don't know. I mean, how how do you describe this this wonder? 
that we have the privilege of seeing every week in Scotland. I, I don't know. I don't know. Long-term listeners will remember that Cammy used to come on weekly and masturbate about uh, Kyle Lafferty. This is not a new development for Kalaf, as Cammy christened him back back in the day when he was at Ibrox. And, and who was yours? Uh, their minds doesn't exist. Like he's been, uh, who, he's, who was yours, David? he's been excised from history. He doesn't exist who was yours, anymore. David? Mine's was Naismith. Wanker! Well, he might Scott be coming Gardner. back! He might Aye, be coming back in January! Ah, he's a fucking manager or director of football, whatever what he wants. Ah, well, he'll still be referred to on this podcast as fucking Judas Rat Bastard up until he get uh, up until he scores a, a hat-trick against the Thames and then stands there with an apology, which he reads out to each stand <laughs> in turn. Um, and even at that... He'll, he'll only get to kind of Kenny Miller levels as far as I'm concerned. But no, I had my heart broken. Um, I defended that boy. The, the, actually, the only time I've ever come close to boxing somebody at Ibrox was a guy giving him abuse and I defended him. And I'm going to look at that guy one day before I die uh, and I kind of, my name is Errol way and just go up to him and say, <laughs> you were right, he's a fucking wank. But uh, Andy, it made our result worse. Because being Rangers fans, we are not like the Celtic support. We don't go... They get beat, everything's okay, because we love our club more than we hate them. But it made our result worse, because we should be out of this league. We should be, they should be way over the horizon, right? I mean, from what we're told about them being the super duperest, best side that ever did exist, um, then they, they should be... And they're fucking not, and it's these stupid points we, we keep giving up that is stopping us applying pressure on them to a side who I think we all suspect deep down that if we put pressure on them, wouldn't react well to it. No, I mean, I'm, I'm no under any illusions. I, I'm, I'm going to pop everybody's bubble here to <laughs> see if we'd beat Dundee and Hamilton. I don't think we'd have beat Aberdeen. Yeah, that's probably I think true. Aber- I think we'd beat Aberdeen because they needed a, they had a kick right up the arse and they needed to prove that they were still a viable team and some of the players were still were there playing for Rangers. I don't think uh, the drop points theory and the would have been top if we'd won the two games and that kind of stuff. I don't think it works like that. Celtic are a formidable team, right? I'll lose me staunch points, but Celtic, this is probably the best Celtic team I've seen for as long as I can remember, right? But if they're having a poor season and the fact that we're only, let's call it, eight points behind them is, is testament to the fact that we are, we are in the midst of missing an opportunity here of at the very least uh, portraying a, a challenge, yeah. right? Um, and we're going to rue it and, and this is why the managerial position that I know we've spoken about but that comes into focus because we're going to piss away another transfer window that we can't afford to waste um, and, and it's just it's so frustrating and annoying that we're letting ourselves be in this position I mean I, keep, I, I never knew Celtic were playing in, in Sunday I forgot about it and I went to see Star Wars and I came out and I had about 20 texts yeah, exact same actually was, I went to see Star Wars that's what? exact same I came out I went to see Star Wars and came out the cinema and it was like and at first I was like for now fuck off you know I actually genuinely uh, thought it was a wind up but there was no kind of euphoria for me either because you only get that euphoria if you're up challenging and it means something to Correct. you and I was kind of like well that's great, but if we could attend big care of business yesterday, I might actually rub my hands a wee bit, but I just don't have that uh, belief in this Rangers team that, regardless of it's Celtic Day, it's, it's um, nah, it, 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 it didn't have the same effect as it, as it should have, and that's more a statement on us than them. Yeah. Cammy, how many players, realistically, do Rangers, well, we know how many we need, but realistically, 
what's the minimum that's acceptable to come in in January? Be it loans, be it perm, it doesn't matter, but just how many bodies do you want to see arriving? I'd like to see about maybe four or five. Um, where <laughs> is an interesting question because actually I don't know if we need to fill a position, we need to fill a skill. Um, and by that, what I mean is that there's some clear, obvious gaps, a lot of which we've already discussed in the last hour. Um, and for me, what would be really important is the, the, the issue that you've got with this, right, um, in terms of who we're going to buy in the transfer window is, so see if on the 1st of January we do, let's just say we sign Pulis, right? So in that transfer window, Pulis is going to have a select amount of games which he's going to be able to try and watch us and to be able to try and see it. Now, of course, he can watch the console games and all the rest of that stuff as well. But it's one of those things where, because he probably isn't even interested in what's happening at Rangers, and his name's probably been... T- I mean, his name's more popular up here than it is down there, right, in terms of connecting them to Rangers jobs, because the English media will connect them to English teams. The problem with the transfer window as it sits us now is, who is going to be in charge of buying those players and bring them in? Because actually, that, again, falls back to almost a director of football remit. So I definitely think we need to bring in players who, for me, I, I would like, and it's easier said than done, a couple of game changers. Somebody who could come off the bench and, if for nothing else, just give a crowd a bit of a lift and be able to try and get them on and, and have a wee look at it and, and again, try and, and get something out of it. Do something for us that can maybe get us out of a lull or a groove that we might be in maybe 60 minutes into the game. Mm. Um, we need to I mean I'm, I'm disappointed I, I will put my name on that and the fact that I'm disappointed we're obviously not going to get Louis Moult um, I know that we've been uh, targeted as well with Jamie Murphy who I, I think would probably be a very good signing although I think he's kind of fallen out of favour a little bit I think he's third or fourth choice down south at the moment um, but there's definitely some names in there which I would like to see us be able to try and bring in and uh, and definitely see us improve Andy? Uh, I think there's uh, there's two type of signings. There's there's the I don't want to say squad players, but there's players that I mean we spoke earlier on about the fact that we couldn't rest players on Saturday after a tough couple of games. So this is where your boysmen's come into play. We've not got much money, so you need to make your boysmen's count. And if you were able to get uh, even McLean, kind of McLean or, or Walker or something tied up in boysmen's, I think they'd be great pieces of business. For, for little outlay that, that instantly give your squad a wee bit more solidity and a wee bit more options mm. but then as you've said Cammy beyond that you're, you're wanting players that can come in and make a, a, a difference almost immediately and that's hard to do especially in the January window and it's even harder to do when you're working within the budgets that we have so I, I think invariably we're going to be looking at loans again I think the problem we've got is that if you're a football player and you're coming to Rangers and you're signing a permanent deal, would you sign a permanent deal with Rangers for the director of football not knowing who the manager is? Mm. Because I wouldn't. He? No, you might not know. You if the manager fancy. comes in and says, well, you're on a three-year deal, but I don't quite fancy you, where does that leave you? I'll throw so one I, out I think, there, though. I think this is why we've got a problem with the transfer window. I, 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 th- I, think, I think, listen, it's perfectly valid, but I, I would definitely say, though, that this mid-season transfer window is far more attractive than where we were last season at this time. Yeah, that's true. Wherein, listen, I, I don't think we'll win the league. Believe me, no one will be happier for me to be proved wrong if that if that turns out to be uh, the opposite. But from that perspective, we're in a far more attractive position to be able to try and do that because we're knocking on the door of Europe. We can get into that that you know, uh, that's a fair point. you know, getting into the 
as well. So I think, but I think the other thing is as well though that <laughs> you're probably saying loan players as you're basically saying well you're here until the end of the season, so getting into Europe's going to mean fuck all to you. But can we actually? You know, I'll cut across you there because I'll throw one out there. World Cup's coming up. And if you want to be going to the World Cup, you've got to be playing. Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting guys for you're going to go into, you know, like the Portugal or Brazil squad or whatever. But a lot of teams going to the World Cup. There's a lot of players wanting to go, and there'll be a lot of players who currently are worried about the lack of first team action. And you know, we can give them a platform, if nothing, a reasonably high profile platform, and certainly a good highlight reel to send to a national coach. Um, if you're scoring goals in front of 50,000 and being adored or whatever. So uh, maybe that's something to look at in terms of the loan market. Well, we can, but then uh, the challenge you've got with that is that anyone who's in that frame is going to cost money week on week with wages, albeit their parent club will subsidise some of that, most likely. But it's still going to be an expensive signing for us, which then starts to limit the amount of players that you can bring in. So um, my big worry about that scenario would be, well, let's rather than either getting four or five loanies slash signings who we can bring in decent wages that we can afford let's do that if we were to then put all of our gamble on maybe three two or three internationalists who as you say are looking to get back into the into the national frame and therefore would want to come in and play well then that that's that's a very select pool shall we say another problem with this is <laughs> I still remember I still remember when we were talking about getting into like the World Cup and all that, and then Loudrop trying to get back into the Denmark squad, and he and he just you know he just moved it down a gear because he really really just didn't want to get injured. Yeah. So when you think about some of the hammer throwers we've got up here as well, Joey Barton's a good example. I see if Joey Barton had ten years knocked off him and he was in the you know in the England uh, squad, not guaranteed his place, but was in the squad, wanted to cement his place to be able to try and cement it. Look at some of the treatment the barn got up here. Yeah. And that's what a player would end up walking into. So it's all very well and good saying, well, I'll help Rangers win, you know, win a spot in Europe or potentially win the league or whatever. But if I then get a fucking knock by some fucking idiot up at Dundee or whatever and that puts me out for a few months, what's the point? Yeah, it's a fair so point. It's a fair it's point. It's difficult. It's really difficult. Uh, well, uh, on that note, um, we I think that we will call a halt to today's proceedings. Uh, just a few things to let you know. First of all, if you agree or disagree with anything we've said today, you can get in touch with us. Uh, we're all on the Twitter. Uh, I'm at Ibrox Rocks. Cammy is at Beat That Beat, and Andy is at Bob McPhail. That's not your name. You've stolen that. This is I know, your... well, you know. I'm surprised a number of Rangers fans that can recognise Bob McPhail's name. They keep calling me Bob as if it's my real name. Well, uh, what I would say is, is you're trying too hard because look at the evidence tonight. Tonight you've said that you want somebody with, with, that, shreds the, <laughs> that shreds the thigh to become the Rangers manager. You said Celtic are a very good team and your name's McGowan. Formidable, David, David. Formidable, Formidable and your name's McGowan. Yeah, I just I'll think there's a I'll lot of... See if I didn't have a picture of you. Yeah, if I didn't have a picture of him at every away ground in Scotland over the <laughs> la- for the last twenty years, then maybe I'd start to have my doubts. But yes, you can get in touch with us there. If you like the show and you want to hear even more from us, and a lot of people do, come and join us on Patreon and become a subscriber. You can sign up for either one ninety nine per month or three ninety nine per month if you want extra content there. And uh, over fifteen hundred people have already, and uh, we haven't had anyone cancel. We haven't had anyone want to leave, and in fact, they've all been very complimentary. So. Please come and have a look at it And to do that It's just patreon.com Forward slash Heart and Hand That's uh, Patreon Which is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N Dot com Forward slash Heart and Hand And uh, 
we're nicer to, to subscribers than we are to people who listen to the free show. But if you just want to listen to the free show, you're perfectly entitled. And there'll be another one along on Thursday. Now, there will be no flagship show this time next week because it's Christmas Day. And I would work for you, but I'm afraid our engineers won't. So uh, there'll be no, but we will be back later that week with Heart and Hand Extra. So... That's everything from me. All uh, that remains to do is to thank our executive producer in London, Mr Knightley and Mr Paul Myers. Thank my guests tonight. First of all, Mr Cammy Bell. Thank you, boys. It's been a pleasure to speak to you both. Mr Andrew O'McGowan. <laughs> pleasure as always. My name's David Edgar and I will talk to you again next week. Cheers, bye. Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.